Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. I'm Mark Pugh. I'm pastor of uh, outreach and operations here at the Vine, and it's a pleasure to be here this morning to be able to share from God's Word with you as We are in the middle of a sermon series from the book of Acts. Um, The sermon series called The Power of the Church in the Face of Persecution. And uh, before we get into it, you guys can go ahead and look at at chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. As I was preparing for this message, I um, had had a couple of thoughts that really came to mind about the passage. One is like, what am I building my life on? I mean, it's kind of an evident part of this passage. What am I building my life on? What's the centerpiece of my life? What would other people think that I'm building my life on? The other thought I had was uh, a little different, but similar in that um, it reminded me the first time I was in a courtroom. I was 17 years old, um, had, was trying to get rid of a speeding ticket or reduce the impact of a speeding ticket. I, I was pretty good at speeding tickets. I got one at 15 and then I was acquiring them occasionally. It was sort of a talent I had in my early 20s before I finally realized it wasn't a great idea. But I remember being really nervous uh, going up to the judge. I had a family member that kind of coached me on what to say. And man, I wanted to say my words just right so that he would give me mercy. I wanted him to hear what he wanted to hear. And, and uh, it was a little bit scary for me. And as I compared that experience to what's going on in this passage, I think, man, how did uh, these apostles have the confidence to say what they said? I know I wouldn't have. I know I wouldn't have the confidence in Christ. I, I know I couldn't have done it on my own strength. And I think as we look at this passage, we're going to see really they didn't have their own strength to do it either. They needed help. They needed help to have the courage and the right words to use. And unlike the apostles back when I was younger, man, my life was not built on Christ. So let's, uh, let's, let's think about that. As we read our word, we go ahead and go to verse 1 in chapter 4. What are we building our life on? So Acts 4.1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, all who were with the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or or, did, or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that this had been with the, they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign had been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or touch at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we had seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Amen. 40 years old. That's old. <laughs> you know, we need to start with a little context um, and, and maybe have a couple observations because that'll shape the meaning and the application that we take away from this passage. And last week, Pastor John, he was preaching on chapter two and the sermon Peter was giving, Peter was preaching Jesus. And 3,000 people came to be saved. So, so the church, it's growing. It's growing quickly. And then the chapter before this in chapter three, there's a lot going on that's important to this story. Peter and John, they're, they're going to this temple and on the way up, they see a crippled man. And in verse two in chapter three says, the crippled man was lame from birth. So his buddies were bringing him to this temple every day. They dropped him in front of this gate called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from people that were coming into the gate. His alms were food money. So he's basically a, a beggar. And so here we see Peter and uh, the apostles, Peter and John, they're walking in this gate and he hits him up for some money. And Peter looks at him. I kind of feel like this is sort of a serious moment. He looks at him and he says, look at me. I don't have any gold or silver to give you. But what I have, I'll give you, and I have Jesus. He says, rise up, and in the name of Jesus, walk. And so then the people see this, and they're going wild. Verse 11 says, all the people are utterly astounded. They're going crazy. And so Peter, he takes advantage of the situation, and now he's preaching. He's preaching the gospel, and the people are getting really excited and excited about the gospel, and that upsets the leaders of the community. And now they're concerned about it, so they arrest him, and that takes us to where we are in uh, chapter 4. So as we look at verses 1 through 6 in chapter 4, I want to kind of go through who's who here. There's a lot of people involved in this. I want to go through some of that. And if we look at, <clears throat> at verse 1, we see the, the priest and the captain of the temple are there, and the captain of the temple, he's the police of the temple. And we also see the Sadducees, they're really the aristocratic families, they're kind of wealthy. They tended to sort of agree with what the priest had going on. A lot of them became high priests. Not all of them, not all high priests were Sadducees, some were Pharisees, but, but the Sadducees, they were the primary group that had become against the new Christian church. They were persecuting it. And, and if there was any teaching on the resurrection, they were really against it. And so next week here, Garrison Young's going to be preaching for us. And he's going to tell us all about why that resurrection is so important. If we go to verse 4, 
This is where Peter's message is going on. I think what's kind of wild is, is obviously very, very convicting because a whole bunch of people are saved. He says that, uh, that it's up to 5,000 people. Not all 5,000 necessarily were saved at that moment because we already saw 3,000 were saved a couple of chapters ago. But the point here is the church is growing really rapidly. Verse six, we see this guy Caiaphas and he's the high priest. Caiaphas was appointed high priest in AD 18. He was around when Pontius Pilate was overseeing the, the area for the Romans. Pontius Pilate was 26 AD to 36 AD. And then we see his dad-in-law, Annas, who's a real powerful guy. He had five sons, a grandson, and a son-in-law who had become high priest. And Annas was the high priest prior to Caiaphas. They're all in the room. And we see this guy, John and Alexander, that we really don't know exactly who they are, but clearly the people in the room are kind of a big deal. And so to me, this context is fascinating. The reason why it's fascinating is because we are reading history. Just a few weeks before this, Caiaphas is leading the charge to condemn Jesus to death while Pontius Pilate is in charge. And we see other historians talk about this event. Uh, Jewish historian Josephus, he, he comments on this trial with Pontius Pilate and, and Jesus. And so does um, Tacitus, a Roman historian. And we see Caiaphas again mentioned in Matthew 26. So we're reading a real moment in time. And this had to have been a really scary moment in time. If you're Peter and you're John, it's got to be scary, but I don't know how they had the courage to speak up like they did to this group, knowing what they had to say was not going to be well received. So I think if we ask ourselves, like, how, how did they have that courage? Well, I think we see it just a couple of verses later. As we look at, at verses 7 to 12, we see Jesus, he's the cornerstone. He's the answer. Verse 7 says, is when they had set them in the midst they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected, the builders, which had become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's some strong words, right? I mean, what's he really saying here? He's saying just by the name of Jesus, the power in the name of Jesus Christ, a 40-year-old cripple was healed. And he's saying by the name of Jesus, that's the only way for salvation. Amen. There is no other name that you can receive eternal life from. This stuff would have made the Sadducees really, really angry. And to make it worse, he's quoting and talking about Old Testament scripture around the cornerstone. It was a pretty common phrase that the, that the officials, they would, have, they would have known that phrase. He was saying, Jesus is the cornerstone. You guys rejected him. So let's talk about that. What, what is a cornerstone? So I looked up a really uh, 
fantastic source on the internet. You can get all sorts of information from the internet. Uh, Wikipedia had Cornerstone. The Cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. So a cornerstone, it's used to build something. So what is being built here? The church. The church is being built, and we see that all throughout Acts. See, Jesus is supposed to be the cornerstone of the church, and Jesus is supposed to be the cornerstone of all believers' lives. And we see right away that the church is being persecuted, but Scripture predicted this. And the Jewish officials, they, they knew this. They knew this scripture. It was very well-known scripture. We see it in a bunch of places in the Bible. We see it in, in Jeremiah 28 in the Old Testament. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, in heaven, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. And then seven, 800 years later, Ephesians 2 Paul writes, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's Ephesians 2. And then even later, Peter's writing his own letter in 1 Peter in, in chapter 2 and talks from 4 to 6 and he's quoting Psalm 118. And in verse 4, he says, Peter, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And then he says, in, and then or he does in Psalm 118, it says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Peter and John, they're, they're like sticking it to the Sanhedrin here. I mean, it's, it's hard. Um, we see this cornerstone all over Scripture. And so how does Jesus, being the cornerstone, impact our lives today and for eternity? You know, if we build our life on Jesus and we allow him to be our cornerstone, he'll help us navigate our life, our life's ups and downs. See, this is, this is way bigger than just we accept Jesus and then we live our life, and then we, we hope to go to heaven. It's way more than that. The gospel impacts us on a daily basis. You know, one of the things that we're guaranteed in life is to struggle. There are people in here who have had health problems that have been undiagnosed or difficult forever and ever. We're going to have sickness. We're going to have relational issues. We, we may have money problems. There's all sorts of issues. We see this in 2 Corinthians 4. It talks about this very thing. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, per persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. As Jesus becomes our cornerstone, our solid foundation for our life, we receive and then we get to model the fruits of the Spirit. These are found in Galatians 6. It's things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are beautiful gifts that we get and that we are to give to others. Others should see this from us. You know, I've heard it said that, that our true personalities, 
Our true personalities come from when we're dealing with pain or pressure or frustration. You know, as we think about how we lament, how we mourn, how do we handle things that just don't go the way we want them to go? How do we handle it? What's your testimony? What's our testimony say to others? Is it attractive? Does it display the beauty of who Christ is during these times of struggle? I'm sure we all would like to improve on this. We'd all like to be able to take back or say something different to our kids, our family, our friends, our coworkers. We've got to learn to let Christ be the cornerstone of our life because cornerstones, they impact everything. They are the foundation of our beliefs. They're the foundation of our actions, our decisions. They impact it all. They help us decide on a daily basis, where are we going to send our kids to school? What job are we going to take? What are we going to do in our work? How are we going to help our coworker? Are we going to put our wife or husband's needs in front of our own? The list goes on and on. This is what a cornerstone does for us. But, you know, maybe most importantly, a cornerstone helps us determine eternity. You know, our passage says that if, if Jesus isn't your cornerstone, you won't be a part of the church. You won't be a part of, of Christ's family. You will not have eternal life. It says in verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we gotta ask ourselves some questions here. Are we building our life on Jesus? Is he our cornerstone? Is he the center of a life that helps us make every decision? What, what's competing with him in our life? You know, thinking through these questions and answers is, is really important because there are some people that will not accept Jesus. We see that in this passage. In really 16 to 18, verse 16 and 18, the Sanhedrin are saying, well, what shall we do with these men? For the notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They didn't believe. There's always gonna be people that will not believe. There are people that will not accept Jesus as their cornerstone. You know, there are people like the Sadducees that are really invested in what's going on on earth, that their world revolves around earthly things. There's always gonna be people that, that think there's another way, another way to, Jesus, or to, to, to God, other gods, or, or working through their own strength. You know, St. Augustine, uh, early church leader about 1,700 years ago said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel that you believe, it's yourself. We all need to realize that every one of us will be held to account for our decision. We see that in Matthew 25. 25, 31 to 32 says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him with will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We don't want to be a goat. Not back then. It's not the greatest of all time back then. You know, the, the Sanhedrin, they disliked this teaching, but they weren't able to refute it. 
You know, had they been able to refute it, it could have really affected this movement. It could have possibly destroyed the movement, but they couldn't. This is a historical narrative. This should boost our faith. The Sadducees, they were materialistic. They were very tied into society. And so any kind of uprising would have been bad for their power. They also believed that the soul was not immortal. There was no afterlife. There was no penalties for our work here on earth. There was no benefit. To me, that's like, that'd be an awful life. I don't know what purpose you would have in life. Just like thousands of years ago, there are people today that just can't let go of what they have going on today their life views, their desires here to really enjoy Jesus. There's always going to be people that that struggle to accept the beauty of what life would look like if Jesus was our cornerstone. You know, if you share about Jesus, you need to assume that there's going to be people that will not accept him. This has happened. It's always going to happen. It's continuing to happen. Scripture tells us the church is persecuted, but we have to watch out to not be frustrated, to not be bitter or angry towards the world. You know, we're called to love the world. We're supposed to share our testimony with them. Every one of us in this room has somebody in our life that doesn't want to hear about Jesus. And that ought to break our heart. But it shouldn't disrupt our desire to love them. We've got to be careful not to let our political views or our life views impede on our ability to care for others around us. And I don't mean like we can't stand up for our views. We need to stand up for our Christian views. But we've got to be careful how we do that. It, it can have an impact. 1 Corinthians 10, I think Paul addresses this a little bit. He says in 32, 33, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. See, I think Paul, he's trying to make a difference here. He's not just trying to make a point. Um, I worked for a marketing firm for a decade or so, and uh, I, I know there was a lot of times where I said some things and I laughed at some things that I probably shouldn't have. It's really hard to to balance that being holy and righteous and getting along with your coworkers. Um, But God blessed me in a lot of ways there. I was able to have the honor to to officiate three weddings of of coworkers from brown baggers while I was there. And, And it was a great opportunity. I think that was part of why God probably called me to that work was so that I could have a relationship with some younger people to, to marry them and, and get a chance to speak the gospel to them. Might have been the only real easy way to do that, but I can almost guarantee you that that would not have happened. They would not have wanted me to be a part of that if I hadn't bit my tongue several times along the 10-year path and, and not said some things maybe that I would like to have said because I didn't agree with some of what was going on. You gotta have to think through how to make a difference versus making a point. This is so important because some people are going to accept Jesus as their cornerstone. We see this in verse 20. You know, Peter and and John, they couldn't help but to speak of what they had seen and heard. They were so excited. Their life had been changed and they wanted to talk about it. You know, I know when I was at, at Brown Bag, there was a lot of times I didn't share 
about Jesus being the cornerstone. I should have. I, I can remember this one time, um, we had a new hire, new network guy, and we were walking down this long hallway. We had like a scooter you could scoot on to go to such a long hallway. And um, we're trying to solve this problem, and I've got background information on it. And I'm thinking, I got a lot of things. I got some really important things I need to be doing, not this. But I'm going to help this guy out. So we're walking down the hallway, and the whole long hallway, he's like asking me all these questions about my church. And I'm like, I got to get this work done. And we get to the server room, and that's about the time the Lord says, uh, hey, you know, what about me? Like, you're an idiot. I've given you this long hallway, and you've just ignored it. And that's been a lot of times I do that because I'm just too focused about what's going on around me to sort it out, that I'm moving too fast. The Holy Spirit is there prompting me, and I'm just ignoring him. It's made me miss a lot of opportunities to love people well. You know, from our passage this morning, we can see that the apostles, they were changed by the cornerstone. Jesus was the center of their world and the Holy Spirit gave them the power to witness others. We saw that in verse 20. They, they couldn't help but to speak of Christ. They couldn't help it. They were on a mission. You know, verse 13 says they were common men. Anybody can do this. Anybody that has the Holy Spirit in them can speak this way. This word common, it, it could mean illiterate. But yet these common men, they spoke articulately. They spoke with courage and they had great impact. We have to trust the Holy Spirit will give us the power to speak. If you were in that situation, what would you say? You have to ask that. When you're, in, you're on trial, what words would you have? Yeah, I'm 35 years older and I'm a whole lot more confident than I was back in that first time I was in the courtroom. And I'm pretty sure I would struggle with this. Unless I was really being led by the Holy Spirit. The only way that's going to be happening is if I'm hanging out with the Holy Spirit, I'm talking to the Holy Spirit, and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to manage who I am, what I'm saying, what am I doing. You know, I'd encourage you guys to practice this before you speak before you act at, at your place of work with your coworker or with your kids, your family, pause. Let the Holy Spirit interact with you and lead you. He'll give you the words to say. You know, 1 Peter 3 has a great little verse about being bold, but not being arrogant or divisive. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, 13 to 15 says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer the righteous for righteous sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, be bold, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And this brings us to our last point today, that you know, if some people are gonna accept Jesus as their cornerstone, our testimonies matter. Verse 21, verse 22. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The people, they were moved by this testimony of this man. The Sadducees couldn't deny what had happened. The people couldn't deny what they saw. The people were excited to witness a life changed you think about the people around you, you gotta ask yourself again, 
What would they see? What are you building your life on? Is Jesus the, the cornerstone? Would they see that? You know, I'm afraid so many of us, we struggle. I know I struggle at times with this. That Jesus is really the cornerstone of my life. And the reason why I struggle is because I got a pretty good life. I'm pretty comfortable. You know, we've got our TV shows we watch. We hang out with our family and our friends. And for most of us, that's about all we really need. We don't really see ourselves as broken or needy. We certainly don't see ourselves as, as the crippled man in this story, but that's who we are. We're all the crippled man without Jesus. We are spiritually crippled. There is salvation in no other name. Without Jesus being our cornerstone, we're all the crippled man in desperate need of being healed from our sin. We need the, the name of Jesus, the power to save us. And this isn't about making us feel bad. It's just to open up our, our eyes to our need. See, we've got this condition that you and I, we struggle with that prevents us from being close to God, to have a relationship with God, and that's called sin. But Jesus died for us. He died to take away our sin. You know, we struggle so much with wanting to, to have our own agendas. I know I walk around mainly worried about my agenda, not what Jesus' agenda is for me. You know, we're in rebellion so often because we, we don't even pay attention to what's going on. It is a struggle. Jesus was the perfect man. His death again took away our sin and he, he gave us his righteousness. He gave us right standing with God. So now God the Father sees us as perfect. We're in God's family because of Jesus's work. Because of his grace and mercy, we no longer will get the punishment of death that we so rightly deserve. All we have to do is repent, believe, and obey. We repent of our sins. We believe that Jesus was the Lord, that he died, that he was raised. And then we let the Holy Spirit help us to obey him. You know, as, as we repent, believe, and obey daily, our life will change. Our life's outlook will change. People will notice that. They have no choice but to notice it. You know, for, for years, I was, uh, I was building my life on worldly success. I wanted, I kind of wanted money. I really just wanted to be respected and successful, whatever that meant to me. And at some point, it was becoming, uh, I was becoming a slave to it all. It was not free. And Jesus healed me. There's a lot more to that story. But Jesus healed me. And so I'm, I'm close buddies with a, a lot of high school guys, and we would go on a uh, spring train baseball trip every year. And so the year after uh, I'm, I'm changed by Jesus, we're locked up in a van for a couple of hours, driving from Orlando to the East Coast, and I'm, I'm hammering Jesus. They're hating it. And I'm pretty sure I didn't handle that particularly well. But you know what? They couldn't deny my testimony. They couldn't deny it changed. So I challenge everyone in here, think about your testimony. We've all been healed by Jesus. We're all crippled. 
We've got things to celebrate in our lives that are experiences that He has given us, whether it's success in the business world or a struggle that God has gotten us through. That is a story for other people to hear. It's a story to give for God's glory. I'd encourage you to to share it. I know it can be awkward at times. It can be hard, but there are ways to do it in the way that you are with the people that are around you that will make an impact. You know, we need to allow Jesus to be our cornerstone and we need to build our life on him. So as we close out this morning, I I want us to to recite together this confession that that we're gonna show on the screen there. You guys say this along with me. Almighty God, you poured your Holy Spirit upon your gathered disciples, giving them courage and creating a new community of faith. We confess that we have quenched and grieved your spirit, that we have broken your law and forgotten your love. Have mercy on us, O Father. Transform our timid lives by the power of your spirit and fill us with a burning desire to live as your faithful people, doing your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this moment that you've given us, that you've placed us here to learn about your word, Lord. As we come forward to, to take communion now, and we prepare our hearts, Father, I just ask you to do a mighty work. Lord, to, to help us have a desire to love one another, to see each other as broken and needy. Lord, to, to allow you to be the cornerstone of our lives. Father, help us. It's in your wonderful son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.